Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. This is Dr. Robert Jackson with More Than Medicine. And I'm bringing to you today biblical insights and stories from the country doctor's rusty, dusty scrapbook. Today, I would like to talk to you about a little discussed topic called the fear of God. And I would like for us to try to recapture a proper understanding of the fear of God. And I want to begin first with a scripture verse and then with a a story from my family life. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29, Moses is speaking... And he's representing a message from God. And he says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their sons forever. This is the heart of God, the great heart of God being expressed through Moses. Now, let me share with you a story. Many of you know already that My wife and I homeschooled our children for a number of years. My wife, uh, of course, carried the the majority of the responsibility. I was the sheriff and the Bible teacher. And at one point in time, she was schooling uh, seven children at one time. And one of our sons, whose name won't be revealed, uh, was mm, very, very ADD, if I could put it mildly. And most of the children were being schooled in one single room of the house. And every day when school began, he was like a jumping bean. He was in and out of his chair, up and down, talking constantly, moving about, flipping his pencil, tormenting his sisters. And his mother was constantly saying all morning long, J.Hu, sit still. J.Hu, get back in your chair. J.Hu, Don't do that. Jehu, leave your sisters alone. Jehu, please finish your schoolwork. Well, this went on day in and day out, and it drove my wife to distraction, and it drove some of the sisters to tears until one day one of the older daughters had an idea. We had a camcorder that had a little bright red light on the front of it, and she set up a tripod, and she put the camcorder on the front on top of it, and, and she positioned it so that Jehu could see it, and she put her hand on her hip, and she pointed her little finger at Jehu, and she said, brother of mine, you see this camcorder? When I push this button, it's going to record everything that you say and do, and when daddy gets home tonight, I'm going to show him exactly how you behave in school. And with that, she pushed the button, the little red light came on, And then she promptly went and sat down with a smug smile on her face. Well, that little boy sat there uncertainly for a few moments and stared at that little red light, blinking on and off. He sat down, he nervously flipped his pencil a time or two, and then he commenced to doing his schoolwork, and he never got out of his chair the entire day. His sisters smiled, his mother smiled, And at the end of the day, his mother exulted in telling me the story of what had happened. 
Well, I told her at the end of the day, well, that represented the red eye of God. And she said, what? And I said, that little red light on that camcorder represented the red eye of God. As long as that light was watching him, that little boy behaved properly. And she said, it represented the red eye of God. And I said, well, indirectly, it really represented his father's authority. That was better even than saying, you wait till your father gets home. As long as that light was on, he was going to behave. Well, thereafter, his sisters wouldn't even put a tape in the camcorder. They would laugh and just push the button so that the red light came on. And as long as that light was on, their younger brother would sit quietly in his chair and studiously perform his schoolwork. You see, all it required was for that red light to be on and for him to think that there was a possibility that there was a tape in the camcorder that could reveal his behavior to his father at the end of the day. Well, you see, the fear of daddy in the heart of a child regulates his behavior. And in like manner, the fear of God in the heart of you and I as adults should regulate our behavior. Now, let's talk about that a little bit. I want you to understand that many of us have a misunderstanding about the fear of God. All of your adult life, and myself as well, have heard that the fear of God means an awe and reverence for God's authority and His person. But I want you to understand that I think that's a limited view of God. The fear of God means that you have an awe or reverence, a sense of wonder and a deep respect that overcomes you at the greatness of who He is. But people say we're certainly not supposed to be afraid of God. Well, now, is that really true? Let's think about that biblically for a moment. I want you to understand that when you study the Scripture, that there is a type of fear that produces a physical, bodily sensation of quaking, trembling, or even a death-like state when God manifests His presence. Just think about John in Revelation. He fell at his feet as though dead when he was confronted with the presence of God. Think about the disciples. When they heard the voice of God on the Mount of Transfiguration, they fell on their faces greatly afraid. When God came to make a covenant with Abraham, the Bible says that horror and great darkness fell upon him. Fear typically accompanies the appearance of angels. So it should be no surprise that God, who is infinitely greater than the angels, should produce the same effect. The manifestation of God's glory always creates such an overwhelming experience of terror and dread that in the Scripture, no mere human ever remains standing. 
Now, there's another type of fear that the Bible talks about that's almost an opposite of the first. And the first is this physical quaking, trembling, falling to the ground. The second fear is is more of a, a rational, thought-out, calculated conclusion that's based on facts about God regarding accountability to Him for sin. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 20, through 20, both of these things appear simultaneously. Now, if you remember, God appeared on Mount Sinai. The mountain is smoking. Thunder and lightning engulfed the top of the mountain. And then in verse 19, the people begged Moses to talk with God and not let God speak directly to them, lest we die, is what they said. Well, then Moses makes a very interesting statement in verse 20. Pay attention now. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Now, did you catch the irony of that statement? He says, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you. Why? So that you may not sin. That's interesting. Don't be afraid, because God has come to make you afraid. How can this paradox be? Precisely because the first commandment not to fear addresses the emotional fear that they have at the very presence of God. In the second case, however, Moses notes that the whole reason that God has manifested himself in such a terrible display of power is so that they might understand his greatness and be aware of their accountability to him in order to learn not to sin. Well, we have so much emphasized in our culture the love and the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace of God to the exclusion of His holiness and our accountability to Him and the fear that is due to Him, that we have a skewed view of who God is. If you look at surveys of the Christian community today, you realize that, that the way Christians behave is only slightly different from the lifestyle of unchurched people. How can this be unless Christians possess an incorrect view of grace as some sort of license to sin? So my challenge for you and me is to understand is that the fear of God must be understood as an accountability to Him instead of merely an admiration of Him. And that accountability leads you and me to avoid sin at all cost. Now, let's talk a little bit about what exactly is the fear of God. Yes, it is a holy reverence and respect for God the Almighty. And for many people, 
that is, it has three stages, just like children. You see, children start out with a superstitious fear of their parents. It kind of grows out of ignorance. And yes, people do have an ignorance about God. They're, they just don't know God. Have you ever tried to invite a lost person to church? Sure you have. And there, it takes a team of wild horses to drag a lost person to church. Why is that? It's because they don't know God. They're ignorant of God. They're scared of God. They have this superstitious fear of God. But then as people begin to understand who God is, people tend to develop what I call a servile fear of God. They obey God because of the fear of punishment or maybe the expectation of reward. Children are the same way. They begin to obey their parents for the same reason, either because of the fear of punishment or the expectation of reward. But then... As children grow, they develop a filial devotion to their parents, and they begin to obey their parents out of love and a desire not to offend their parents. Well, you and I are the same way in our relationship with God. As we grow in our love and admiration for our Heavenly Father, we get to the place where we desperately don't want to offend our Heavenly Father. And our love for God drives us to do whatever it takes to please Him in every way. And that's sort of the stages that we all go through. Now listen, pay attention. A growing fear of God produces within you and me practical piety. It produces within us personal holiness that grows out of a proper reverence for God. If you and I are not growing in personal holiness, then there's really no fear of God within our hearts. A greater knowledge of God produces a profound respect for God, a greater fear of God. Growth in personal sanctification is the result of a sincere fear of God within our hearts. And it all begins with abiding in the Word where we acquire the knowledge of the Holy One. Isn't it interesting how things always go back to abiding in the Word? Because you see, when we abide in the Word, that's where you and I see God. That's where we become acquainted with who He really is. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the source of a genuine fear of God? I would submit to you that that source is in the Word. To know Him is to love Him. You've always heard that. Well, I would submit to you that to know Him is to fear Him. The greater the knowledge of the Holy One, the greater the awe and the reverence. But an ignorance of God's Word causes man to disrespect God and to have a casual, negligent relationship with the Heavenly Father. Scripture outlines for you and me a proper fear of God. You see in Isaiah chapter 8, in verse 13, there's a scripture verse where the prophet tells the people, he says, it is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and He should be your fear, and He shall be your dread. Did you catch that word dread? Should we really dread the Lord of hosts? I agree with the prophet. 
Yes, indeed. We should have a holy dread of the Holy One. Secondly, I believe the source of the true fear of God is the Holy Spirit. John 16 tells us it is the Spirit who guides us into all truth. He is the one who illumines our mind, and He engenders within our hearts a proper understanding of who God is. And when we know and understand who He is, it produces within us a sincere dread of the Holy One. And then thirdly, personal experience. What's the source of the fear of God? Personal experience. You see, Adam and Eve, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what was the first thing that happened? (laughs) They feared God. They were afraid of God, and they hid themselves in the garden. What about Moses at the burning bush? You see, the Bible says that he was afraid to even look at God. What about Joshua when he was confronted with the angel of the Lord, that pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says he fell down on his face as though dead. And what about Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration? Once again, they fell down as though dead. And then John in Revelation chapter 1, again, he fell on his face as though dead. You see, when people come face to face with the God of the heavens and the earth, the Holy One of Israel, He from whose face the heavens and the earth flee away, they fall down as though dead. And you see, my personal experience, and if you've been born again, your personal experience is that it leaves us amazed. Because you see, the Bible says that those who are in Christ Jesus have been made what? You know, new creatures, a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. And I am continually amazed at His ability to change, transform my heart and my mind. And then there's a certain expectation of accountability that causes you and me to have a fear and dread of God. The Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 that every last one of us is going to face judgment. It's not just some people, but all Christians are going to face judgment. That every one of us are going to have a day of accountability before the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5 and verse 10, it says... Um, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this is speaking to Christians only. Lost people will appear before the great white throne judgment so that they can be rewarded for their deeds. But Christians appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Listen, there is a day of accountability, brothers and sisters, and that expectation of accountability drives you and me to a fear of God. And then lastly, an accurate comparison of me to him, you to him. You remember that story in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah is confronted with the Lord God Almighty, and he's standing there in the in the year that King Uzziah died, and he describes that heavenly vision. And it's such an amazing description of what happened. It says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. The seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one called to another and did say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Now the prophet responded, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now you see, brothers and sisters, when a man sees the living God, he has an accurate comparison of himself to God. And the prophet's first response was that he was a man of unclean lips. He was a man filled with iniquity, corrupt, and he was undone. And you see, when you and I have a vision of the holy God, which the only way we can see God is through his word, the only appropriate response is for us to say, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. An accurate comparison of myself to him causes me to understand that he is holy, pure, righteous, omnipotent, all-wise, all-knowing, eternal, immortal, invisible, the all-wise God. And it creates in me a humility of heart and a dread of him. And does it make me afraid? Afraid? Yes, it does, and rightfully so. And then the last thing I want us to see is what does it accomplish in your heart and mine? Well, as I told you in the beginning, when my son saw the red eye of God on that camcorder, it regulated his behavior. And brothers and sisters, it does the same thing for you and me. When we see God as He is through His Word, it regulates our behavior. It drives us to obedience. You remember Job in chapter 1, and the Bible says that he was a man who shunned evil. Job was a man who knew who God was, and it steered him away from sin. In Nehemiah, the Bible talks about how Nehemiah acted honorably because he was a man who knew who God was. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you know when the fear of God is regulating your behavior? Let me ask, answer that question for you. When you do think, say, and act honorably when nobody is looking, when you're all alone in a strange place or in a secret place and you choose to live righteously, then you know that you have an appropriate fear of God in your heart. If there's no prospect of punishment or reward, then you do not have a commercial relationship with God, and you have chosen to live righteously simply out of reverence and the utter conviction that God deserves your best, and you choose to give Him your best, then you have chosen to please Him and not offend Him then, my brother and my sister, you have begun to scratch the surface of what it means to live in the fear of God. The second thing is I want you to understand is it motivates you and me to worship God. 
In Revelations 14 and verse 7, it talks about that angel that's in the heavenlies, and he tells the people with a loud voice to fear God and to give Him glory and to worship God. Listen, when you and I have a proper fear of God, a proper respect for His holiness and His perfection, it promotes worship. When I see God as He is, and when I glimpse His majesty and glory and His omnipotence, I fear Him and I worship Him. The man who fails to worship does not fear God, nor has he seen God, but rather flaunts his independence of God. When God revealed himself in the Old Testament, the consistent response was falling down with fear as if dead and worshiping. How do you know when you fear God? When you live to worship, and when your highest priority is worship, when your greatest joy is worship, when worship becomes the identifying characteristic of your life, you have begun to fear God. And listen, if you don't understand what I am saying, then there is no fear of God in your heart. The other thing I would say is that the fear of God teaches us to hate evil. The Proverbs talks about the man who hates evil and who fears God. The two are the opposite sides of the same coin. When your sin or another person's sin grieves your heart as it grieves the great heart of God, you've begun to reverence God. The fourth thing I would say is that it leads to wisdom. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Wise men are they who obey God. Obedience is an outward sign of inner wisdom, which itself is rooted in the fear of God. And then lastly, I would say that blessedness, contentment in our hearts flows out of the fear of God. I started with a, a verse in the book of Deuteronomy that tells us when Moses was speaking on God's behalf, and he said, oh, that they would fear me and choose to obey me, that it would go well with them and with their children forever. Do you understand that blessedness and contentment, that things going well in your life flows out of the fear of God? Why is that? Because the fear of God drives us to obey God. And there's no need to be anxious or to fear the future or to fear what might happen in the future when you and I have a proper fear of God in our hearts. Because when we fear the future, we're denying God's sovereignty. We're saying in our hearts that God can't handle this. God can't take care of me. But when we get victory over fear and anxiety, we've just begun to learn the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is really a respect for His sovereignty and His supernatural ability to take care of you and me in every circumstance. Do you fear God, or do you flaunt your independence? My challenge for you and me is to go to the Word. Ask God to reveal Himself to you. Ask Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. And brothers and sisters, when you see God, you will fear Him. And the fear of God leads to wisdom, and obedience 
and bless you. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.